You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 244 of Podcateers. This week we had to say goodbye to another Disney legend. Dave Smith, the founder of the Disney Archives, passed away and we talk a little bit about who Dave was and the legacy that he's leaving behind. Dave was one of those people that was very loved in the Disney community and so our condolences go out to all of his family and his friends. Um, We're bringing back March Mayhem this year and this time around we're going to be voting on who the best animated character is. Last year we had a lot of fun doing this and couldn't wait to do it again. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently this year so more information is going to be coming up later on in the episode plus we're going to have a page up on podcateers.com where you will be able to find more information soon after this episode launches so keep an eye out for that also we continue our series on disney california adventure where we talk about what we call dca 2.0 Remember that if you hear anything that you'd like to comment on, you can join the conversation by dropping us a message on the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 244 or by connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. We're about to get things started, but before we do, I want to send a shout out and thanks to the FGP squad for their support in helping to make these episodes of Podcateers possible via their support on Patreon. For more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad or our podcast, Fairy Godparents, you can go to podcateers.com slash FGP. All right, so we're going to get this thing started. This is episode 244 of Podcateers. Oh, I thought you were going to say contact again. Oh, yeah. Three, two, one. Contact. It's the reason. It's the something. I don't know the lyrics. Contact. This is contact. That is old school. Yeah, dude. I used to watch that when I was a youngin. I don't remember that, though. Oh, man. It was like the greatest show ever. It was on public uh, television. And yep. they had like all these little vignettes. It was essentially a variety show about learning. <laughs> learning. <laughs> Is that the one that had uh, the Bloodhound Gang? Uh, I don't think they were called the Bloodhound Gang, were they? Yeah, they were the the kids that solved the mysteries. Um. Well, I remember they had like a dragnet math net thing or something like that. One of those shows on PBS had the Bloodhound Gang. Hmm. And. And then a band was later named after them. I was just going to say, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, my, yeah, I made yeah. a face and I'm like, wait. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure it was MathNet where they solved the, okay. the different mysteries on that show. A lot of those things run together after. When you get to my age, the past <laughs> becomes a blur. But I remember MathMan <laughs> is like the knockoff of Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. But they always gave him, like, puzzles to solve where if he didn't, like, a little angry tornado would come and consume him. So it's like, mm-hmm. Mathman, your mission yep. today is to pick up all of the multiples of three. And then he'd, like, Mathman, Mathman, Mathman. And then, yep. like, that crazy little whirlwind would appear. <laughs> and, like, if he didn't solve it, like, it, it's like I'm watching it's it crazy. now. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. It was so good. I'm sure that if we searched on YouTube for it, we would find it. 
and uh, oh yeah. Would. yeah yeah that is uh oh it was the bloodhound gang yeah, it, I knew yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the Bloodhound Gang. Yeah, we're the Bloodhound Gang. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, it's like dude. I'm watching it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need to get some of these videos so Melissa can know what the heck we're talking about. She thinks we're crazy. I know, right? Well, I mean, a little bit. Crazier er. than yeah, exactly. we previously were. <laughs> yeah. So how's it going, guys? Well, it's good. I'm yeah. warm now after uh, getting hypothermia and frostbite at Disneyland today. Yeah, <laughs> I was not about that. It was <laughs> super cold. It was still rainy in our area. And this weekend has just been all about, you know, getting stuff done around the house. And I, I didn't want to go out into the cold. I wanted to be in the mm-hmm. confines of a jacket sitting here. Just enjoying some warm coffee and or hot chocolate. <laughs> nice. We did get yeah. coffee at the park, which always helps. But it, it's funny, though, because I've really kind of acclimated to California weather. And I'm complaining about this frigid cold weather. But only one year ago, I was in Oklahoma <laughs> experiencing real winter where the temperatures are in the teens and there's ice and snow. <laughs> And here it's like, oh my gosh, it's 52 degrees and there's a breeze and I'm crying. So I'm a I was soft gonna say, Californian. Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> I need summer to come back real soon. And when summer's here, you're going to be like, oh, it's too hot. I want it to be winter so quickly. Now, I always like the heat. I'm on that end of the spectrum. I am golden. I don't care how hot it is. I like sunny summer weather i'm the opposite i feel that when it's summer you could be soaking wet and then in a minute or two you're just muggy and hot again and sticky and just (laughs) ah but in the winter get yourself a nice warm blanket or a nice jacket and like you're golden dude Hmm. but we're not too bad i mean i'd rather be hot or just really warm than humid yeah and it never coming off your skin like ugh. yes definitely <laughs> i don't like uh, don't go to florida then <laughs> right. or houston ugh. uh i i uh, i'd rather be warm than cold any day of the week and it doesn't matter if it's muggy or arid i'd rather be cold uh hot than cold but you are the type of person that wears shorts in public so i think that's why you uh-huh. don't mind the heat i don't uh, i'm in jeans year round Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, you know, jeans yeah. and dicky shirt, that is Hazen's uniform. That's what people have grown to love when I go to the parks. Look, my skin has not seen the sun in so long that if I put a piece of paper, <laughs> like printer paper next to it, you would be pressed to figure out which one's which. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're trying to be a ghost and get into the mansion. Shh. Stop telling them my plan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> So yesterday was actually the first time I didn't have to have a jacket until like five o'clock. Mm-hmm. It felt so good to be in the sun, but five o'clock I was like, I'm done. I'm going home. I yeah. was shivering. I'm like, nope, not about That's this. That's crazy because <laughs> yep. in our area, we actually got rain yesterday. We didn't see the sun all really? day. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got a lot today. We didn't get rain here, but we did today. It was uh, off and on. It's weird. The It's so crazy because it will be 
blue sky, sunny, and then two minutes later, the entire sky is gray and it's raining. Yep. Yep. And then 10 minutes later, back to the way it was. It's, and it's it was because... back and forth all day. And I like the weather changes really fast in Oklahoma, but not the sky. Like it'll be, you know, like raining and not raining, like in quick succession. But the entire sky empties of clouds and then refills with clouds within minutes. Yep. It's... It's like it's <laughs> it's a joke. It's like some cosmic joke. Like this can't happen this fast. Some, some giant being is up there with like <laughs> shaking it like an etch a sketch and like clearing the board. So it's crazy. I'm laughing because there's something called the Disney Dome, <laughs> where <laughs> it's a term because everywhere, everywhere around Anaheim will have rain, but we're the only people that won't get it. <laughs> so it's like we'll have blue skies and all of a sudden what you're describing is like they're lifting up the dome and mm-hmm. there comes the rain and then they close it because it's like okay enough you know yeah. carry on <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's weird we had one of those or a couple times we had that weird moment where it looks like it's blue sky and the sun is shining but the rain is still coming down so mm-hmm. it you can't tell where it's coming from it's yep and it trips you out it was a weird day. Really weird. It's coming from the water hose. <laughs> I guess. Just from the side. It's, it's, Imagineering just has sprinklers around the park that they're tricking us with. Let's get used to it. You'll feel fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What did you guys get a chance to do in the park? Uh, we used the last two of our tabs for our Sip and Saver Pass for the Lunar New Year Food Festival, which ended today. Oh, cool. Uh, which, as we record, it's the 17th. And uh, we are all in on these food festivals. I've told you this before. I got confirmation from Charlie today. She's like, we need to do this every time they do one. Like, it's not even a question anymore. Uh, So for the time being, until maybe they get too repetitive, if that's even a thing, or we get sick of them, like, we're intending to do it every time because it's such a cool value. You get to try... Lots of different things that you wouldn't normally try. And it's just, it's a really fun way to engage with the park. And I've never been a, you know, big foodie guy when it comes to the parks. But I, I'm i just really digging the food festival thing. It's really cool. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Cool. Food and wine is next, at least here at yeah. DCA. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we've done several of them, but I, I like them too, because I don't eat that food frequently enough to say, you know, yeah, I, I don't mind doing it. But some of the food mm-hmm. does get repetitive, uh, especially sure. over a, a few of the festivals. I, I feel like if they had more of a variety every time, I would personally feel like it's a better value. There's times that I feel that some of the things that I eat, I've had it and I'm OK with not trying it again next time. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I wish there was a little bit more variety to it. But overall, sure. I have to agree with you. Getting that pass, you know, with all the tabs on it, it's the best value because some of those portions that they give you are eight bucks a piece. But you get a yeah. significant discount getting this tab pass for APs. And I love it. Uh, anytime yeah. that we've done it, it's the first thing Lynette goes for. You know, she whenever she knows that we're going to go down for one of these festivals, she always opts to get these, two because she knows that it's an incredible value. So if you ever have the opportunity to get it, 
you know, have an AP friend buy it for you. Pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly because they don't tie it to they your don't pass tie it anything. to your pass so right, yeah. if ever there was Which, a time i guess we shouldn't give them ideas yeah if ever there was a time <laughs> you know to have somebody buy something for you those yeah. sip and saver passes are one of the best values you can have an uh yeah. an annual pass holder purchase for you yeah agreed i you know i i think with the the infrequency or like each festival only comes around once a year so I feel like it would probably take two or three years to really feel like you were getting tired of anything, you know? I think that's where we are. We're like in our third year of doing it, which I think is why I feel like that. And it makes a little more sense with something like the the Festival of Holidays that happens between Thanksgiving and Christmas because – they're kind of dealing with a narrow slice of these are all specifically kind of right. holiday related right. foods. So they're, mm-hmm. th- it's not going to change a whole lot, but I feel like maybe the food and wine festival has the most chance of variety from year to year. So I'm going to partake for the first time this year and then we'll see Ooh. what happens next year. Yeah. Hopefully they'll have frushi so you could try it. Yes, I remember hearing about the frushi <laughs> last year. It was like a big deal, right? Yeah. Too many it was. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to try that. Lynette tried was Lynette with you when you guys tried it, Melissa? Cuz I want to say yes. You and you Jill and, and Lynette tried it, right? I didn't get a chance yeah. to try it till way after, and I remember at the time, I it's one of those things where Depending on who's making it for you, I feel like there's elements that they don't put enough of that really help it excel in the flavor categories. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I mean, I heard mixed reviews on it. I, I I thought it was tasty, but I feel like it was it, it maybe would have been missing something that I would feel like I can get it again next time it comes around. Now, if you guys I get it remember. and you guys offer me some, I'm totally gonna have some. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, Hopefully this year you'll be able to have the avocado ice cream bar because they have a booth of just avocado stuff. So good. Oh, yeah. I didn't get a chance to try that because it was always out. Nice. We did get a chance to try the garlic one, and that was super good. Oh, yeah. So far, I haven't run into any outages of anything, and we've been... Uh, we've tried to get something from all of the booths when these things come around and, you know, maybe they're better at their supply chain this year or something, maybe. but have you only um, been going in, on weekdays in, though? No, it's been week weekends as well. Okay. And, and both of them, we were there on the last day of, so you would think if it, they ran out any day, it would be the very last That's day. True. Uh, and I haven't even heard of any things running out in these last two that they've done i I might have missed it but i haven't heard anything so i feel like maybe they've gotten their levels corrected to the right spot yeah that's good that's really good to know that first year that they started trying to do this i think was a really good learning opportunity for dca because at that Mm -hmm. point epcot had really been the only resort that had been doing something like this and right. I I think that when it happened here in California, 
Disney may not have expected as many people to be interested in it. And it's only gotten bigger and bigger every time that they've done each of these. You know, I I think they're just like you said, they've just gotten better at supply chain. And, you know, they're bringing in more flavors and different kiosks Mm -hmm. for people to try. Uh, Just side note, that vinegar kiosk that they put up normally. I love going there. They have just all crazy flavors of vinegar, and they have one that is like a like an orangey citrus flavored one. It's it's mm-hmm. so good, so wow. good. Yeah, that was what was cool about the Festival of Holidays is all the other vendors that they had along with it. And mm-hmm. now that you mention it, I'm so mad. We were gonna get one of those um, variety packs from Saucy Lips, the oh, hot sauce dude. booth. Because we sampled a bunch of them, and man, there were some good hot sauces there. Yeah, they have really some great good. ones. They're not, and they're not plugging this episode or anything. We're just, we just like them, you know. But unless they <laughs> want to sponsor they are. us, that's a different story. But not sponsored. So, well, that's awesome. I'm glad you got a, you had a chance to to finish up those tabs. Mel, I remember seeing some stuff in your Instagram story that you had a chance to check out some new stuff happening in the resort this week, too. I did. Finally, I got to go to Tangaroa Terrace. Nice. Excuse me. I got the wrong Wait, Tangaroa Terrace Bar and Grill? I think that's what it is, yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Eh, We call it Tangaroa Terrace. (laughs) It's always going to be Tangaroa Terrace in our hearts. Right. We're so used to it. It's hard to change. (laughs) But I am so impressed, so impressed with what they did. It's more open Mm -hmm. and they have, I want to say they have a lot more to offer. But the best part, you had to go to Trader Sam's to get the experience of the specialty drinks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you guys are not familiar with Trader Sam's, if you ordered a special drink, there would be like, a scene that'll happen or the bartenders would shout something all in like I would say in character so they kind of do something similar outside as well oh nice yeah so we kept hearing that Um, it was a little busy because it was the first Saturday with like no rain sure so we sat at the very bottom where the fireplace is Mm, okay they've actually changed like all the seating the they have like more stable tables Oh, interesting. Yeah, I really liked it. I want to say the outside portion is very comparable to downstairs of the Lamplight Lounge. Oh, okay. You know how it's open with the bar and everything? Very cool. Yeah. So meetups would be amazing there. Nice. Just saying. That's very (laughs) cool. Do they have an additional entrance? Because it looked like maybe there was a new entrance to Tangaro, like from the side of the... Whereas, what's the um, tower that f- is closest to Disneyland? Is that the Fantasyland Tower, or is that the Adventureland Tower? I think it's Adventure. I say Adventureland. Yeah. Okay, so it I I thought I saw something that showed an entrance from there directly to Tangaro Terrace. Is that a thing, or am I just making that up? That is a thing. I didn't really pay attention to that. Um, okay. I think I was just too excited going to uh, Tangaro to finally check it out. Because there used um, to be like an exit, like you could well, it's go still an entrance out that way. Yeah, you yeah. can still enter through there. 
I didn't ever think it was an entrance, just an exit. Yeah, we always entered through there. You would end up ah. in the in the dining area right next to where the restrooms are located, and you would yeah. walk mm-hmm. through the venue. So you would end up on the Got opposite it. side. So it, it was technically an exit, but you could still walk in through there. So okay. one of the best parts is that there's mobile ordering uh, available. Oh, yes. yes. Snap. I did not wait in line. Oh, that is Fantastic. great. Is that the first location outside of the parks that has mobile ordering? Is there any other downtown Disney location that does mobile? No. I think yeah. that's it. This I think is the that's first the first, one, yeah. right? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You know and what place there's... needs it? Huh? Freaking salt and straw, dude. That line is insanity. Even oh, in the all rain, time. I was seeing yeah. people post like these oh, crazy, crazy lines for it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Mm. Well, I'm Very looking cool. forward to finally get a chance to go. I like you said, meetups are gonna be significantly better from what you're describing just because of the added oh, seats yeah. that they had. That's one thing we've always struggled with. Having enough seating for all of us. Yeah. So maybe we don't need well, to do an actual event. Maybe we should just do a meetup just to hang out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I like totally. That. Mm-hmm. There's also the forthcoming reopening of Whitewater Snacks, too, right? Yes. So there might be some Dude, I'm cool new stuff there, too. so looking forward to that because Whitewater Snacks <laughs> is quite yes. possibly like in my top three places to eat on the resort. Yeah, yeah I know. It's one yep, of your agreed. go-to places. Yeah, yeah. I love it there. Uh, cool. Maybe we should do a movie meetup for uh, Endgame. Why wait? Yeah. Let's just do Lego Movie 2. Let's do it. <laughs> We could do or, or how, how to train your dragon three. Let's do it because I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it would be fun. Well, uh, you know, we'll try to put something together. We'll obviously let you guys know via social media, all that stuff. If you guys aren't following us at Podcateers, is how you can do that. P O D K E T double E R S. It's not podcuteers with an A, it's podcuteers with an E. Common mistake when people try to search for us, they're like, I searched for you, but I didn't find you. I searched for P-O-D-K-A, I was, ah, ding, ding, ding. That is why. It's P-O-D-K-E-T-E, podcuteers. Think of podcasting mouseketeers. That's the best way to remember it. Because yep. that's that's where our name came from. So, Yay. <laughs> so a couple things before we continue. Obviously, Gavin, I need to check in and ask you, how's your Audible coming along this week? Uh, great as always. I love Audible and am fully addicted and can't imagine my life without it anymore. So <laughs> two thumbs enthusiastically way up for me. I, I from the beginning like it it's amazing how it just kind of grabbed me and it it just you know made sense. I had my doubts going into it, but I have really enjoyed the experience and I think anybody could get into Audible because they have a an incredibly diverse catalog of titles and from the couple that I've listened to so far, the production value is really good. So, you know, it doesn't sound like, you know, it's not just like a computer voice, like reading you 
a book with no emotion, you know? It's sometimes even acted with sound effects and soundtracks and things like that. Most of the time, it's just an author, or not an author, uh, a voice actor just reading it to you. But, you know, they provide some of the emotional impact of what they're reading. And I really, really enjoy that because it's like listening to a radio show or a podcast, you know, that's telling a story. And if you are like me and you don't have a lot of time to sit around and read, it's super easy to get into a book with Audible because anytime you're in the car, anytime you're just working on a project where you don't have to, you know, where you can tune into something and you don't have to be using your brain too much, uh, it's there. And, uh, man, like I said, I love it. If you want to give it a try, go to audibletrial.com slash or there's a link in our website on the homepage. And uh, you can get a free trial that lasts for 30 whole days. Gets you a chance to try it out. You can get your first book free. And you can keep that book forever. Even if you decide to pull the insane move of canceling, you still get to keep that book. But you're not going to cancel, let's be honest. So give it a try. Audible. They're amazing. They are amazing. I'm glad it's still going well for you, man. It it kind of segues a little bit into something that I wanted to talk about because a a couple of the things that I wish were on there were some of Dave Smith's books. Uh, Yes. It's funny because when I think about the books that Dave wrote, a lot of them are just Walt quotes or Disney trivia, and it doesn't really lend itself to Audible. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason I really started thinking about that this week is because, uh, as you as you guys may have known, on our Instagram account, we posted that Dave recently passed away. If you're not familiar with the name Dave Smith, Dave was the archivist for the Disney company. This last Friday, on February 15th, Bob Iger released a statement where he called Dave an unsung hero. You know, his statement said, I'm deeply saddened to learn of Dave Smith's passing. Uh, He was the unsung hero of Disney's history who, as our first archivist, spent 40 years rescuing countless documents and artifacts from obscurity, investing endless hours, restoring and preserving these priceless pieces of our legacy and putting them into context to tell our story. Dave was a true Disney legend, and we are indebted to him for building such an enduring, tangible connection to our past that continues to inspire our future. Yeah. The only thing I I feel that I disagree with in Bob Iger's comment is that Dave was an unsung hero. Yeah, I agree. Because of the internet and because of things like the D23 Expo and just Dave being Dave, he was one of the warmest people that you could ever meet. And any question that you would ask him, like he had an answer to, you know, Mm -hmm. he was, he he was just amazing. Like a brief little history on Dave He was born here in Pasadena in Southern California, and he was also a a huge Disney fan. You know, he frequently visited the park. Uh, He had a background as a a, of a librarian. So that archival nature, you know, was already a part of him. And Mm -hmm. in the late 60s, he was working on his own book about Walt Disney when he heard that 
the Disney company was thinking about creating their own archive. And this was a time in Hollywood where the studios didn't really care about archiving things. They just let things go all the time. And that's why we're missing so many Oswald cartoons, you know, from really early on, because nobody had the foresight to actually archive these or keep them, you know, in a tin somewhere for generations to see going forward. So when the opportunity came up uh, about creating this living history for the Disney company, like he jumped on it, you know, he was already a fan and this thing came up. And so he sent a letter to the Disney company and he, he mentioned everything that he could bring to the table with his uh, experience working at the Library of Congress at UCLA. I think he may have even worked at the Botanical Gardens here in Southern California. When when they read the letter, they were really impressed. And on June 22nd, 1970, he was brought on board by Roy Disney and officially became the company's first archivist. Uh, his first task, I mean, if ever there was a job to get you started, it was documenting everything in Walt's office. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that Walt's office hadn't been touched since he had passed away four years prior to that. So you can imagine what an honor it was to have that opportunity. Uh, and I, I mean, I would have been geeking out, you know, yeah. I, I, not, I, it, he was, and you gotta, you gotta think to yourself at the beginning, maybe there was a little bit of selfishness on his part thinking like, maybe I can finish my book now, you know, I'm going to have access to all this stuff that I'm going to help archive. But over the years, I think it just went beyond that for him. And like he was the go-to guy for everything, you know? Yeah. Over the four decades that he was there, he just wrote a handful of books, some of which I'm fortunate enough to own, like Disney A to Z, an official encyclopedia of Disney knowledge, the quotable Walt Disney, you know, just to name a couple. Uh, he wrote a column called Ask Dave, which, you know, a lot of D23 magazine readers uh, will are fortunate enough to have inside of their their magazines and even after he retired in 2010 he still consulted with the company you know and he continued Mm -hmm. answering fan questions Uh, i mean he knew so much about disney history that pretty much everyone in the company saw his word as final on any historical happenings like if anybody ever had a question ask dave which is where the name of the column came from Right. And the archives themselves, they've just become such an essential part of what the animators, the imagineers and even executives at this point, you know, go through, you know, not only for the history of the company, but it holds a lot of the secrets that early animators and and imagineers had. And those are secrets that when somebody was taken under somebody's wing, maybe they passed on those secrets, but that's maybe where it ended. You know, and so the archives mm-hmm. has become this essential trove of information that anybody working for the company has access to. Uh, all the innovations, the inspiration, and I mean, overall, just the heart of the company. You know, and yeah. in in two thousand seven, uh, he received Disney's highest honor. You know, he was named a Disney legend. And I mean, well-deserved, right? I mean, if there was ever a person that marked or that made their mark at the Disney company doing something innovative that nobody had ever done before, it was Dave. 
yeah, you know, over yeah. the 40 Absolutely. years that he was there, he he left a legacy that is going to forever be remembered. Yeah, I would I concur with all of that. Uh, the the thing I would say about Dave Smith is to the Disney fandom, he is as important and influential as any figure. Yeah. Because he is the one who recognized and gathered the things that we nerd out about, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And all, so many of the books that we treasure that are, you know, collections of artwork that are, you know, collections of letters or have references to the vast history that is the company that we nerd out about those resources are there because of Dave. Right. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who love reveling in that stuff and learning about it and, you know, seeing, you know, the history that wouldn't be like, if you had that same passion for any other studio that goes back through the 20th century, like Disney does, there wouldn't be nearly the amount of stuff for you to look at because companies didn't have that foresight and even today, there's not that many companies that have an archive quite like what Disney has, because it's not just seen as an important historical record. It's seen as a celebration of itself. And I, I we owe a huge debt to Dave for that. So here's yeah. to Dave. To Dave. Totally. And you hit a word that I was going to say, but... You hit it with the word passion. Mm-hmm. This guy had the passion and the heart to do all of this for everyone, for all of us to enjoy. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yep. huge thank you because we got to learn about everything. We got to see everything because of him. It hurts to hear of his passing. I was shocked. But man, just to look back and see what he's done. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We we do owe a debt to him. And he, he's sorely going to be missed by many people. Oh, yeah. Sure. Just e- even Disney fans in general. Just like I said, he was such a warm person. Uh, so we, we would just like to send our deepest condolences to all of his friends and family. It, it's going to be weird at D23, you know, this year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of uh, honoring some sort of ceremony or something. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. If, if ever anybody was going to get like a double legends award, like Dave would be it. <laughs> a celebration. <laughs> like to of be re-honored sort. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Disney legend oh times two. Well, interestingly enough, you know, so often these kinds of things happen in pairs and, you know, shortly before his passing, uh, Ron Miller also passed away. Yeah. So. A couple of major players in the Disney timeline, uh, you know, so it's it's been kind of a heavy week for Disney. It has. It has. Let's hope it's that's it. Yeah. So we're good. We're good for now. Yeah. We can't take no more. And Ron Miller also so influential, you know, Mm -hmm. while he was running the company, he was so 
about technology and innovation and not just in the parks but also experimental with animation you know for all of you tron fans like i instantly thought of you guys you know (laughs) ron was the type of person that wanted to push the limits on stuff like that and he allowed the animators and the imagineers to experiment so much that we would not have tron without him yeah you know so everything that he did for the company as well you know, it, it, we owe a lot to him, too. You know, he went on to create the Walt Disney Family Museum with Diane Disney Miller. Mm-hmm. You know, now we also have that as kind of a second archive, you know, that we could visit, which yeah. I, I was blown away last year. We went for the first time in June. And, man, I enjoyed it so much. We're, in, we're We just got a field trip up there. Let's do it. Oh, we should it's, field it's, trip up there. It's on my bucket list. Yeah, that would be yeah. nice. It's only a five-hour drive. We'll take turns. I mean, look, it's really <laughs> supposed to be like a seven-hour drive, but, you know. Burp, burp. Hey. So. <laughs> could do Vegas in four hours. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I almost feel guilty saying this at this moment because I feel like it's going to be a really cheap plug. But if you guys are interested in owning any of the books that we mentioned or any of Dave's books, we have links to our Amazon page uh, in the blog post for the episode, podcasters.com slash 244. Keep in mind that if you click on those links, uh, we will receive a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because you went through our link. If there's anything else that you like to purchase, you can just go through our regular link, podcasters.com slash Amazon. But if you're interested in owning any of those books, they're fantastic. You know, the the vault book with all the trivia, the quotable Walt Disney, the encyclopedia book. It's it's it's, it's a trove of information. And any time that you just want to sit down and just nerd out on just general Disney knowledge, these are the first books you should think about owning. If you've mm. never owned a Disney book before, this is where you should start. Even if you don't go through our Amazon link, if you go through your own, that's how much I want you guys to own these books. Even if you don't go through our link, you should own Dave Smith's books. So that's where I'm going to leave that. Um, Also, uh, I do want to actually plug something, which is not – this isn't shameless because it's something that we're excited about doing next month. We posted this. It was a teaser on the Instagram account. March Mayhem is returning yes. this year. Wow, 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 wow. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting. We're doing a totally different category this year. Yeah. We're yep. doing animated characters. Last year, if you had a chance to join us, we voted down our favorite Disneyland attractions. Now, this year it's going to work a little bit differently because last year we selected the attractions and Gavin, with his knowledge of seeding and doing these brackety bracket things, he was (laughs) able to seed the attractions in a way where some of the biggest names could end up facing each other if they were voted through. Uh, and that was towards the final round. You know, you, you didn't want to place them in the first round and knock out like Pirates of the Caribbean in the first round. This year, we need your help because what we want from you guys, you're going to see these posts on Instagram, but we want to know your top eight favorite characters. And we're, we're going to go with Disney animated and Pixar animated. 
Once we have everybody's votes, we're going to tally up everybody's favorites. And I'm just going to throw this on Gavin. Gavin is going to seed everybody and create this bracket. And we're just we're going to do March Mayhem that way. I think it's going to be much better if we let all of you select your favorite characters. And this year, we're also doing something different than we did last year. We're going to have the bracket available for you to download on podcasters.com so that you can actually try to predict who the winner is going to be once we have everybody seated. The cool thing is that if you take a picture and you tag March Mayhem this year, and if your prediction happens to come true or whoever gets the closest with all of the eliminations and whoever chooses the winner is going to win a prize. Yeah. Yet to be determined, by the way. We're still trying to figure out what it's going to be. <laughs> but we are going to have a prize available for the person that gets the closest in predicting all of the round, all of the round winners and the final winner, the champion of all animated characters. Heck yes. So we're super excited about the changes that we made to March Mayhem. We think it's going to be super fun. Get everybody involved. And voting is going to be just like last year. We're going to put up Instagram stories that are going to be available for 24 hours. We're going to tally up the votes. And we're just going to go on from there. So, uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Are you guys excited? Dude, yeah. I'm, I'm very pumped. I'm really interested <laughs> to see what everybody uh, throws in as their eight favorite characters because um, we're going to create the field from what everybody submits. So yeah. I feel like there might be some omissions that we'll be surprised by and there'll be some submissions that we'll be surprised by. I want to throw a, a couple details in there that will um, hopefully answer some of the initial questions that I feel like some people are going to have. So we're going to count every character from Disney Animation Studios and Pixar Animation Studios. I think we should also include the Disney Toon Studios. So if you like Dusty Crop Hopper or the Pixies from Pixie Hollow, please uh, feel free to submit those. We'll also include Touchstone Pictures so that all of the characters from Nightmare Before Christmas and uh, Roger Rabbit can be included. So that's the field we're dealing with. Sorry, Bugs Bunny, you're not allowed. Sorry, Shrek, you don't belong. <laughs> Just the Disney umbrella kids. That's awesome. And yeah, don't be afraid to enter someone unknown. Who You know, you never know. Somebody else may have that vote and you never know who may show up. So yeah. have I, fun I, with it. I would definitely say pick your eight. Don't assume that you can pick a different one because you think, oh, well, surely somebody's going to vote this person in, so I don't have to vote for it. No, pick your eight if you want them in there. Yeah. Uh, the one I missed was uh, Disney television animation. So all the Kim Possibles and, you know, Disney afternoon characters, go ah. wild. Go wild, yeah. kids. <laughs> so all He's you so horse, <laughs> horse collar fans out there, this is your time. Vote in Horace. Get Voting him represented. You know, this is your time to shine. So I'm so excited because last year we kind of went crazy on Instagram. We were oh, yeah. drawing in our characters to vote and stuff. That was fun. So that's why I'm so excited because it was just a chance for us to root for who we wanted to go and keep going into the next bracket. I'm I'm stoked. I know I'm not eligible, 
but I'm going to print out a bracket for myself and I'm going to play along. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally going to do it too. More information on the prize that we're going to have available is going to be coming up soon. That stuff and your votes will be posted on Instagram the week that we launch this episode. Stay tuned for all of that. Again, at Podcateers on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. We're also on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Ring that bell icon for notifications whenever we post brand new videos. You have many ways to follow us. Uh, so this week, uh, as you guys know, we've been talking about California Adventure 1.0. If you missed it, episode 243 will give you a little bit of background as to what happened when California Adventure first opened, what led up to the opening as well. This week, Gavin will be telling us a little bit about DCA 2.0, what the changes were and what's to come. So Gavin, let's do this, man. All righty. Okay, kids. Gather around. Everybody sit on the floor. I got my hot chocolate ready. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk today about the second chapter in the story of California Adventure. So last week, Hazen told us the fascinating story of 1.0. Uh, for me, especially, it was fascinating because I just don't know much about that first decade and was really surprised by a lot of the things he told me. And by the way, I left out some stuff too. Oh, like, I didn't sure. even talk about the amazing tractor exhibits <gasps> that Wait, were in what? the in the area formerly known as uh, uh well, I guess it was just all Valley part of Golden Farms. State, but now, you know, we best know it as Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. Right. You know, so right in that yeah. area where you would be exiting, formerly known as Bugs Land, they had these tractors available. And it was just crazy because, I mean, who wouldn't want to learn about tractors at California Adventure? Right. You know, I, it was meant to talk about the agriculture and stuff. But yeah. anyway, I, I didn't talk about several <laughs> things. But, yeah, man, tractor <laughs> exhibits. Woo! <laughs> man, if only we had a time machine. <laughs> So, yeah, on that note, you know, we decided to talk about the park in general for this first outing to California Adventures. So it's hard to discuss the entire park. So these are really just kind of overview episodes. Uh, I'm sure we're leaving lots of interesting things out, but we're trying to hit the highlights to give everybody a picture of the main story of the park. Um, So... Uh, we left off last week with the announcement that happened in 2007 of a $1.1 billion investment in the park, which came as the ultimate result of the Save Disney campaign and the appointment of Bob Iger as the heir to the throne of the Disney company. Okay. The plan was to give DCA cohesion, to give it a personality, a new energy, and lots of Disney magic. What resulted was an absolute transformation. DCA 2.0 is the park I personally fell in love with and in some ways is already being erased. Back to 2007, though, the plans laid forth to give DCA new life were to take five years to complete, and there were four major elements that would be evolving or added to the park. One, the entrance would be completely redesigned. Two, The four original lands would be divided and added to for a new total of eight lands. Three, Buena Vista Street would take the place of Sunshine Plaza. 
And four, Cars Land would be a new land in an expanded area of the park. So we're just going to hit each of those main points. Here we go. Let's do this. <laughs> so we're going to start at the front of the park with the entrance. The park got a total facelift to the front gates. Imagineers completely removed the postcard vista and the giant California letters and chose to model the entrance after the facade of an iconic Los Angeles building called the Pan Pacific Auditorium. Interestingly, what they created was a near duplicate of the entrance to Disney's Hollywood Studios based on the same building. Uh, I find that to be a very interesting choice uh, to kind of copy something that had already been done. But a lot of people in the years after this expansion happened kind of considered DCA almost like a greatest hits park because it had a lot of highlights and similarities to various other parks uh, around the world, really. Uh, so in some ways, it kind of makes sense. But using an architectural element such as the Pan Pacific, a building erected in 1935, helps set the stage for what guests are about to experience as they go into the park. This is similar to the effect of the Main Street Station. However, different from the train station, this particular design allows guests to see through the gates and get a glimpse of the area they're about to walk into. I feel it's a much more appropriate gateway to this new reborn DCA. Uh, I, I really love the fact that you can actually see what you're walking into at DCA. You know, I like the, the specialness of the reveal that you get on Main Street. You know, they intentionally mm -hmm. walk you around a corner through a tunnel and it's like a reveal shot when you walk out onto Town Square, right? Yeah. But I kind of like the anticipation and like you can see the hustle and bustle of Buena Vista Street while you're in line for DCA. I, I really like it. And you can see all the way down to the Carthay Circle and, and you know, kind of get that anticipation going. Uh, you know, you guys got to experience that original entrance. What were your initial reactions to it when, because that's a drastic change. Oh, I fell in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. I did immediately because it's just, you felt like you were in a different time. Mm -hmm. So it just, that and I'm a sucker for Art Deco. It's yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I do miss the letters. You know, really? I, I was always bummed out that they didn't have an H, but then it's not really California, it's California. <laughs> so we had the C, which, you know, it's, it's our last name, but at the same time, it was a, a great photo op. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think I ever had an opportunity to take the whole photograph, like I talked about in, in the last episode, where it kind of mm -hmm. looked like that postcard-esque uh, visual. Right. I've seen a lot of them. Uh, at the time, I wasn't as much into photography as I got into over the years that came. So uh, that is one of my regrets, that I wasn't into photography as much as I have gotten into while it was still there. Because I feel like I would have had just an amazing opportunity to just have that in my personal archives. Mm -hmm. But the letters were great. The tile mosaic, too, uh, is one thing I do miss from the, yeah. you know, recreation of the entrance. The The Pan Pacific Auditorium is just, it's a beautiful building. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a wonderful piece of architecture. But 
that tile mosaic, dude. I mean, just oh, it was <laughs> gorgeous. Was gorgeous. Yeah, it it looks pretty in pictures, but unfortunately, I never got a chance to see it. Mm. Hop in the TARDIS. I know, right? <laughs> that is one of the things that I wish I would have been able to experience, uh, but alas, I did not. So. Uh, let's move on to the next segment, which is the fact that we're now getting eight lands in this park. So uh, the, the next change was the redivision of the four existing lands uh, that the park started with and the creation of eight total new lands. When all of these projects were done and the park officially reopened in 2012, the lands of DCA were as follows. Buena Vista Street, Hollywood Land, A Bug's Land, Cars Land, Pacific Wharf, Paradise Pier, Grizzly Peak, and Condor Flats. Woo! Now, now of course, yep. a couple of those have changed already since then. Uh, <laughs> some of them have been divided into two. Some of them have been consumed by other lands. It's, it's almost like the park that never stops changing. Mm-hmm. So... Dividing the park into eight lands allowed Imagineers to really develop specific stories for these areas and create cohesive, focused designs for buildings, signage, colors, etc. In short, the lands just seem to make more sense. Each area is still definitely something that can be tied to California, but isn't defined so strictly as being specifically Californian. And it was all romanticized and stylized to become more of a beautiful painting inspired by California rather than a cheap imitation. It also helps guests to have a better understanding of where they are in the park. One of the interesting things about DCA is its departure from Disneyland in its layout. The park is very organic. There's not a true central hub with lands radiating from it. Uh, It's more of a series of lands strung together across an oblong piece of land. You know, so for a time there when the Golden State area was like a third of the park, Mm -hmm. you know, you could say, oh, hey, come meet us over in the Golden State area. (laughs) Be like, uh, okay, I can walk around for the next four hours and never Uh, see you. I'm in the Golden State area. Uh, No, you're not because I am. Yeah, you could be on the other side of a mountain. And nobody would know. So, uh, you know, it, it just made a lot more sense. Uh, the other thing it accomplishes is it makes the park not seem so diminutive next to Disneyland. At 72 acres, thanks to a few acres added with Cars Land and a list of eight lands, it no longer seemed dwarfed by the 85 acres and eight lands next door. One of the most significant changes to the park was the transformation of Paradise Pier, which took on a Victorian seaside look and actually became one of the most beautiful, picturesque, and picture-worthy spots in the whole park. This change helped redirect a lot of the initial criticism of the land being the antithesis of what Walt desired of his parks. It was suddenly filled with a charm the park did not previously have anywhere. This change had such an impact that we began to see the park represented with a Mickey's Fun Wheel icon instead of the hitherto accepted park icon of Grizzly Peak. Mm -hmm. To me, this was the biggest culture shift at DCA was the, the redressing of Paradise Pier from a contemporary 
amusement park area with things like the Malaboomer, which is the dumbest name ever, to this beautiful, well-appointed, gorgeous Victorian seaside resort setting. And I that's the Paradise Pier that I was first exposed to. And I immediately couldn't understand the criticisms because it was so beautiful. And who hasn't had their picture taken with Paradise Pier and Mickey's Fun Wheel in the background, right? Like that is probably tied with the castle in Disneyland as the must-have photo op. Yeah. You know, they just – they did such a great job making that a thing of beauty and – I just think it's it's an important change that they made. And then they changed it again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned that because when the park first opened, they pushed Grizzly Peak so hard yeah, as the iconography that. of the park because they really didn't have anything, you know, other than depictions of the sun everywhere, <laughs> you know. So really right. the icon of California Adventure was that. And you don't see, I mean, you see pictures of Grizzly Peak, but you don't see people posing with it, like, you know, trying to, like, grab, you know, the grizzly by the by the mouth or anything. Or You, know, <laughs> you don't see those photos. Yeah. But you're right. You see the photos from Paradise Park, you know, across the bay. You see the fun wheel. And then there's also the boardwalk area as you're kind of veering towards, at the time, California Screaming you would get the coaster and the fun wheel in the background. Yep. It was such a big change and I wish it hadn't had to change again personally, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that more in a little while. So the next major change that came to the park was Buena Vista street. So this was one of the most significant changes that came as well. This new street that guided guests into the park was based on the Los Angeles that Walt encountered when he moved to California with his brother Roy in the 1920s. It features red car trolleys hauling passengers around town, a gas station, a newsstand, and many shops and businesses. One of its most subtle features, though, is a new statue of young Walt Disney and his newest friend at the time, Mickey Mouse. It's called Storytellers, and it represents the wide-eyed, ambitious Walt who had just started to realize his potential to make his dreams come true and an early version of Mickey Mouse. Unlike its sister statue, Partners, next door, which stands atop a pedestal in the middle of an inaccessible circular flower garden, Storytellers simply stands on the sidewalk so guests can stand right next to the pair of future icons. This is a really nice touch. Yeah. And to me, it is a great example of the incredible and underappreciated storytelling that happens at DCA. I think the attention to detail specifically in Buena Vista Street is insane. Mm -hmm. I love everything about it and the storyteller's statue brings it all home you know it's walt before he was untouchable it's walt you know as the young dreamer and you get to just rub shoulders with him you know oh, it's yeah. uh, it's so good i i love that touch i i really love the fact that the storyteller statue has pie-eyed mickey mm-hmm. you know yep. versus the newer mickey because that's how 
people knew him at the time. Yeah. You know, so the fact that we have that little piece of history and they even paid attention to that detail, I, I love that. Yeah, I mm. totally agree. It's it's beautiful. So the grandest feature of Buena Vista Street is a replica of the Carthay Circle Theater where Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs famously premiered in 1937. Of course, it isn't a theater at all in DCA, but instead it's a restaurant. And it's probably the nicest table service restaurant inside any amusement or theme park in America, obviously excluding things like Club 33, which require membership. Uh, The Carthay Circle restaurant has a lobby and lounge on the main floor with historic Disney photographs, paintings, and rotating displays featuring items from the Disney archives. The main dining room is upstairs. There you'll find a lot more period photographs and an incredible ceiling mural inspired by the concept art from Snow White. It really is such a beautifully appointed, amazingly designed space. And when you step into that place from a theme park, you know, you you can't believe that that exists inside i remember the first time i walked into carthay circle and i i i honestly (laughs) couldn't believe it and then when i made a reservation and got to go eat dinner there and experience it i was blown away it's such an amazing place and i i really do love that they decided to create something that's that special and make it available to everybody I, I, I think it's incredible. Oh, definitely. Inside, again, I'm a sucker for details, but they have four tables mm-hmm. in the main dining room. And it's so trippy. I don't know where I have, I don't know if I have the picture, but on the tabletop itself, you could kind of see the evil queen really? on the wood itself. I did not know of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, it's that's cool. Beautiful. Well, there's little things like that hidden all around Mm -hmm. Carthay because Mm -hmm. in one of the main dining rooms, the base of one of the tables is the original wishing well from uh, Snow White's Grotto at Disneyland. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know about that either. I didn't know about that. I have a photo of that. (laughs) I'll post it on the Instagram account. It's pretty cool because unless you actually look under the table, you're not going to know about that. Wow. But it's just one of those little things that, you know, just makes it that much more special. And considering that that's where Snow White premiered, Mm -hmm. you know, it just makes it even cooler. Man, it it is a beautiful place. I I really love it. Uh, Interestingly enough, though, Carthay Circle has one more important feature in that it also houses the exclusive 1901 Lounge. Yeah, this is a sort of extension of Club 33 in Disneyland. 1901 gives members the chance to step back into the 1930s and chill like Walt and his animators. It's also filled with tons of artifacts, mementos, and historic photos. Imagineers even created a silhouette shadow of Walt stepping into one of the hallways to take a look before turning and walking away again. It's really one of the most um, gripping effects that i've ever seen in a disney park because it's walt (laughs) it's it's incredible (laughs) 
Look, can I just tell you, not to let you behind the curtain backstage and, you know, <laughs> ruin the magic for you, but you know that it's not it's not Walt, right? But the fact that you're in 1901, you're at Carthay Circle, and they tell you, oh, it's Walt's shadow, like, you, you just are captivated hook line and sinker and in the moment that that shadow appears this magical feeling just comes over you yeah you know and it's one of the greatest experiences i've ever had on the disneyland resort this is not a humble brag okay but in case you're wondering the only time i've ever gone to 1901 was the episode that we did with bob gurr Oh, I wow. sat at, at 1901 <laughs> and I interviewed Bob Gurr. So, and if you've never heard that episode, podcasters.com slash 50, it was episode 50 of the podcast. You can go back and listen to it. But that was the one time that I've had to go to 1901. So it was doubly special for me. Yeah. Epic. That's is amazing. The word. Epic. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Epic. <laughs> I don't even know if doubly is a word. <laughs> I think it is. It is today. Uh, you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Well, uh, all in all, Buena Vista Street serves as a kind of mirror to Main Street USA. You know, I, I really do love the symmetry that they created. You know, those two streets kind of facing each other as the entrances to the parks. You know, one being the idealized town that Walt remembers from his childhood and one being the place of dreams that Walt moved to and created his empire. And I, yeah. I just think there's a beautiful symmetry to that. And honestly, I think Buena Vista Street doesn't get enough love. I, I think it's one of the greatest things that Imagineers have brought to the Disneyland Resort. And I, I can't get enough of it. It's filled with tons of details and nods and historical references you know my favorite of which i think is the optometrist office above the five and dime which is called <laughs> iWorks, e-y-e and it's a reference to ub iWorks, the yeah. genius animator and <laughs> technical craftsman that uh you know made so much magic happen for the company i yeah. i think that's fantastic <laughs> it's so good yeah um, I don't know if we need like a drum roll or maybe some trumpets sounding or I don't know, maybe like an engine revving up for this next segment <laughs> because we're, we're here kids. We're to Cars Land. Cars Land. Cars Land. Route 66. Yes. <laughs> the most exciting change to DCA came with the addition of Cars Land. For the first time in Disney Parks history, Imagineers gave guests the chance to walk into the world of an animated film. They faithfully recreated the little dusty town of Radiator Springs, Monument Valley, and the Cadillac Mountain Range that surrounded all of it. All of the notable locations of the town of Radiator Springs in the film are there in Cars Land. Everything is laid out just as it is in the movie. Each of the main characters is represented by his or her place of business slash home. It's a weird concept in Cars. Uh, and there are three eateries, three shops, and three attractions. The e-ticket attraction, of course, is Radiator Springs Racers. One of Disney Park's most sprawling and epic experiences. 
Few other attractions give riders the same sense of journey and face-to-face encounter with the story's characters. Every detail of it, from the queue that takes you from the courthouse into Monument Valley past Stanley's Oasis and finally into the Comfy Cavern Motor Court, to the race course and conclusion of the Taillight Caverns, is exquisitely laid out. It features several direct nods to the movie, such as the ride that McQueen and Sally take and tractor tipping with Mater, who incidentally is one of the most incredible animated animatronic characters in a Disney park. Mm-hmm. Riders also get the chance to have their car plussed by either getting new tires from Luigi and Guido or new paint from Ramon and Flo. It's incredible. Like the amount of experiences that you have along the way on this attraction is ridiculous. Yeah. And of course, the piece de resistance of the attraction is the race segment in which two vehicles pull up next to each other and then race through the valley. Though the ride vehicles max out at around 40 miles per hour, it feels so much faster than that and makes for an incredible thrilling finale to the ride. I think that the variety that you experience and then ending with that thrill of the race makes this ride so endlessly entertaining like the very best e-ticket attractions do. You know, my favorite attraction is Pirates. Because I feel like you really do go on a journey. You know, you physically cover a huge amount of space as you journey through that attraction. And I think the only other thing that you can compare that to with physical space being traveled is Radiator Springs Racers. And it's just on a different level as far as excitement and thrill. You know, I, I can't get enough of it. Yeah, I think Radiator Springs Racers was the beginning of what we're going to see in the future. And it's just the type of attraction where you have these multiple endings. It's it's not necessarily a choose your own adventure because it's random, right? You yeah. don't select what's going to happen to you. But look at what they've done with Mission Breakout. Yep. You know, they have all these different songs and they have all of these different sequences that you could get that sync up to the song so you're almost never getting the same experience when you're riding that attraction and so radiator springs racers really set set the motion forward that this is the type of attraction we're going to start seeing more and more in the parks which could just give us that type of experience when they open galaxy's edge with you know the millennium falcon attraction with smugglers run yeah I totally agree. And I, I think artistically, it's it's really one of the first attractions that can be appreciated uh, you know, just standing in front of it. You know, I, I mentioned pirates. There's nothing as an outside observer to see. You know, you see the, the building that is the entrance for the queue, but the attraction itself is hidden. You yeah, know, yeah. Radiator Springs Racers flips that script on its head and you get to actually see a huge portion of it and the sprawling nature of it allowed them to create this you know vast landscape that feels and looks even bigger than it is and it's so impressive to me it's i i still have to pinch myself when i walk into that area and you know just grasp the fact that they actually created this for us to enjoy this is 
amazing. And it's so photogenic, yeah. day yes. or night. Totally. And it's a totally different experience depending on which side you're entering the cutest little town in uh, Carburetor <laughs> County. Carburetor County. That's right. You know? So if you're entering from the Pacific Wharf side, you see the mountains and you see the waterfall and you just see – it's just this picturesque valley. But if you're entering – from you know the area that Stark Industries is currently building out, and you enter from the now entering Carsland sign, you just you step right into the film. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it's such a different experience, and neither one I, I think is better than the other. I think they both offer just this intense experience that any Disney fan, any Pixar fan, any Cars fan could just enjoy at any time, and it never gets old. That's the thing. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, with, with one exception. So, of course, not everything in Cars Land kept its showroom shine forever. One notorious attraction only lasted three years before being replaced. <laughs> that attraction, of course, is Luigi's Flying Tires, which was based on the technology of the old Flying Saucers attraction at Disneyland, which also failed in the 1960s. It's a nice idea, but in reality, it just doesn't work for most people, and mm-hmm. it had yeah. to go. I'm one of the most. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it wasn't perfect right out of the gun, but they, you know, made a change, a course correction, and I think what they have in place now is, is a beautiful, sweet little thing that I do oh, love. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. It's charming. In any case, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on about Cars Land, but <laughs> oh, we know you can. I'll stop here. <laughs> We're getting a little long. Uh, I'm sure we will do episodes that focus on Cars Land or maybe even Radiator Springs racers specifically in the future. Um, but what Cars Land did, and, and Hazen hit on this a second ago, is it gave fans proof that Disney intended to keep up with Universal's Harry Potter themed areas and, you know, other competition like that and create extreme, even total theming. It ushered in the era of Pandora and subsequently Galaxy's Edge. It is to me as important as New Orleans Square in the Disneyland Resort. I think it was the statement that Disney made to the rest of the theme park industry that Oh, no, 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 no. We won't be topped. We're going to be right there to, you know, be the best as we always have. So I... But... What? I I do have to give credit to Universal because had it not been for Diagon Alley, I don't think Disney would have taken that step to give us such an immersive experience. It was the kick in the pants that they needed. And as in all great creative fields... Uh, competition is good. It, yeah. It's healthy. Yeah. It drives the creativity. And look what we have now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. Um, before I enter my conclusion, I want to point out a couple other notable additions during this um, huge renovation of the park. So in... Paradise Pier, it's so hard for me already to say Paradise Pier. I want to say Pixar Pier. But in Paradise Pier, uh, we got a new attraction called Toy Story Midway Mania, which is a total fan favorite. 
Uh, we also had the recreation of the sun wheel that became Mickey's fun wheel and, of course, became that iconic photo op. And then across the bay, we also got a new dark ride in The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Undersea Adventure. And I'm a huge fan of that attraction. I think it is such a great addition to, you know, the franchise of dark rides that, you know, we all know and love, of course, from Fantasyland and, and other areas. So, the you know, so much happened in that five-year period. And you know, it, it really was a reinvention of the park. So after five years of work on the park, DCA was finally officially reopened on June 15th, 2012. Bob Iger's dedication on that day of the new park took the place of Michael Eisner's from a decade earlier. Uh, Hazen read Eisner's dedication, so I'm going to read Iger's dedication. Lucky. <laughs> here, here it is. <laughs> to all who come to this place of dreams, welcome. Disney California Adventures celebrates the spirit of optimism and the promise of endless opportunities ignited by the imagination of daring dreamers such as Walt Disney and those like him who forever changed and were forever changed by the Golden State. This unique place embraces the richness and diversity of California, its land, its people, its stories, and above all, the dreamers it continues to inspire. Now, in my humble opinion, on that day, Disney California Adventure reached a truly beautiful harmony with the conclusion of the 2.0 expansion. Everything seemed to work together to form really a symbiotic tapestry of idealized California moments and exciting IP injections into the equation. Now, unfortunately, harmonies can be thrown off by constant fiddling, and that's what seems to me to be happening now. I believe that the few years directly following the rededication will be seen as a golden moment for the park. And... Uh, you know, things like Guardians of the Galaxy, Pixar Pier, and the forthcoming Marvel expansion have and will continue to change the DCA experience for better or worse. Ultimately, I always appreciate the idea of moving forward, but sometimes the cost is high. I feel like many of the things that have changed in the few years since 2012 have thrown off a bit of the balance. You know, for me, I feel like Pixar Pier is probably the most notable example right now. But I would also throw Guardians of the Galaxy in there because of the way that you can see that attraction from anywhere in the park. Now, seeing an old-timey hotel wasn't 100% cohesive to everywhere else in the park, but it was less obtrusive than a sci-fi space fortress from comics. Yeah. Now, that being said, I adore that attraction. <laughs> and, you know, I, I love, you know, uh, Lamplight Lounge in Pixar Pier. But I feel like at some point they 
they reached a level of perfection and then couldn't leave it alone. And I feel like it's it's taken a couple dings in the last few years, for me at least. What, what do you guys feel about that? <laughs> the only thing you could think of is that there will be a 3.0. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's clear. Well, certainly. Yeah, it's yeah. clear that it's, um, it's ever-evolving. It's just kind of weird to see everything. We're, I would say we're still processing everything, so it's kind of weird. Sure. Um, but I, I personally, I love what I'm seeing and what's what we have. Um, I, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I, there, I mean, there are certainly differences you know, that do break a little bit of the magic at California Adventure as opposed to what Disneyland has because Disneyland has the berm around the park, right? And so it really shields you from the outside world and it gives you the idea that you are just at Disneyland. There's nothing else in the world that matters until you see Mission Breakout from Main Street or from the train or from several other places in the park. Disneyland doesn't have any structures that are tall enough to really be an eyesore from, you know, far away. And not saying that Mission Breakout is an eyesore, but you're right. It doesn't mesh in as well as other things. Mm -hmm. Like Even Radiator Springs Racers, when you see it from the street, it just looks like metal. You know, a bunch of bars and and it's just a bunch of metal sheeting that you see from behind it. And it it is a little odd to even see that it's cut out in this weird shape of mountains from the street, you know, because you see this metal from behind it. And if you've been in the park, you you just know that that's the rock structure for Radiator Springs Racers. And if California Adventure had something like the Disneyland berm, it would help shield it from the outside world a little bit, but sure. it wouldn't fix the problem completely because at at Walt Disney World, they have so much space that they could space out attractions like the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror in such a way where you're not going to see it from other parks. Yeah. And the way that it's set up, it's not going to ruin the magic of anywhere else. California Adventure... I see as, how do I say this? Disneyland to me is an absolutely magical place. California Adventure is not. And that might be controversial to some people, but what Disneyland brings to the table, I don't necessarily feel like California Adventure. California Adventure to me is a theme park by the Disney company. It's not a magical land that was created by Walt Disney, hmm. if that makes any sense to I, you. I yeah. get it. I totally get it. And I en- and, and I enjoy it. I you know I love California Adventure. I love all the changes that it's bringing. I love the fact that we're going to get a Marvel area in the future. But the magic that Disneyland brings to the table is not there with DCA to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to knock it or anything. Right. I just want to make that clear. It's just it's a totally different experience. And that's great. Yeah. You know, now had they expanded Disneyland versus creating California Adventure, I would have held DCA personally to a much higher standard to uphold that magic. Mm. And stuff like seeing the Tower of Terror or seeing Mission Breakout would have caused, I think, a lot more problems for the true Disney fans because it's 
it's a totally different experience that you're getting, you know, once you go under the train tracks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm glad that the park is expanding. I'm glad that we're getting different things than you would get at Disneyland. It is truly the more adult park, you know, in many extremes. It is truly the more adult park. And it's not just because of the alcohol. You know, the experience, the the attractions, the the eating, it's different than at Disneyland. Sure. I, it, like, it's hard to explain. I know that you guys understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, overall, I like all the changes that are happening. You know, I'm excited to see what, what's coming. And I think that by the time we get to DCA 3.0, I really believe that they're even going to drop the California part. You know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast that I think it's just going to be Disney's adventure park. Yeah. You know, because there's going to be so many experiences that, you know, put you inside of these films or make these experiences so accessible to you Mm -hmm. that it's no longer about California. It's, very slowly going to be phased out and it's going to just be an adventure park where even if you left grizzly peak and even if you left that entire area it's still an adventure place you know whether you're rock climbing or whether you're going down these rapids or soaring around the world Mm -hmm. it's still an adventure that you're going on so i really believe that by the time we get to dca 3.0 it's just going to be disney's adventure park i can see that i feel like it's it's a little different than uh, 2.0, calling it 3.0, because it's almost like all of these changes around the park are not part of one big plan, which I think helped create that moment that I feel was a golden moment for the park, which was basically like 2012 to 2014, 15-ish. And to me, you know all of the changes seem to be so individualized that they don't take into consideration the effect that they have on the park and the areas around those changes, Mm -hmm. you know, and that that's, I think where I have a little bit of uh, consternation about it. And, you know, I'm optimistic I, I love what the Imagineers bring us. I can't wait to see what they do for the Marvel expansion. But as an artist and just aesthetically looking at the park, I just feel like a lot of it is, you know, it it took away from some of the beauty that I found in the park when I initially walked into it. And I feel like my perspective is different than you guys because I didn't come into it with that pre 2.0 baggage from, you know, all of the puns and the cheesy (laughs) dinosaur sunglass shops and, you know, the crazy amusement park rides like the Malibumer and, you know, things that just were decidedly not Disney. So, you know, I didn't carry any of that with me in my initial impressions of 2.0. So it, it probably speaks to why I really fell for the park in that moment and why I hate to see some of that go away because I was absolutely shocked at how magical I felt DCA was back in 2012, which was when I was getting to know the park. 
I, I, I kept, I was surprised that even though I had a park hopper, I knew I would go back and forth. I kept going to discover more about DCA, you know, and I was surprised at how much I did that. And, you know, so I, I think it's really interesting. You know, it depends on when people even went to Disneyland. Some people that went in the sixties feel like it was ruined in the eighties and it'll never be the same, you know, and people that went first in the eighties think it was ruined in the nineties. And, you know, there's all kinds of opinions and experiences and everybody has their own impression of these things. And I think that makes for interesting conversation. Yep. And I think just to go along with what you said, one of the biggest challenges that Imagineers face when they're creating any type of new land or experience in any one of their parks is just how they mesh the two lands together. Yep. And with Marvel coming in, it, I don't want to say that it's going to necessarily ruin the transition from Buena Vista Street into whatever they call that area. But if it continues to be Hollywood land, it might still work. Uh, actually, I, I still believe it'll work. It's the turn from where you have the theater down that street where it turns into Mission Breakout and then how it meshes into the rest of the land and then how you exit into Cars Land. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's going to be crucial into keeping the illusion of both the Marvel-themed area and of Cars Land alive without really causing a huge disruption yeah. in the visuals around you. Yeah. Yeah. I Like I said, I, I can't wait to see what they create there. But, yeah, those transitions are going to be tricky. They don't have the luxury of uh, what they're doing with Galaxy's Edge, for example, where they're basically – using the berm itself as the gateway to the new land. And as you stand on the ground, you can't really have anything ruined for you by Star Wars land being there, right? Like you can, when you get on Big Thunder and you go up that big lift hill and all of a sudden you're looking at like a spaceport, which it's thrilling to me because it's the only glimpse we really have of it so far. Or the parking but, structure. Yeah, but you can't <laughs> but, you yeah. can't see it. I mean, you can see the backside of everything from there. You know, from Big yeah, Thunder, yeah. I mean, it's really starting to look like that model that we all uh, went gaga over at the expo two years ago. And it's, it's amazing. But the point being, they don't have that for the Marvel area. You know, it's going to yeah. have to be some sort of story element, you know, which which movie is it where above New York some like portal opens up and like alien ships? It's the first Avengers. Okay, movie. yeah. So if they can kind of create some sort of idea that as you walk around that corner and you walk towards Guardians of the Galaxy, like you're going through some sort of a portal and it's like, oh, we've been transported to this weird alternate universe where all these Marvel locations are here together in one place and it's existing here in dca for us to experience like something like that you know then they can kind of explain away why we can see this thing that shouldn't exist there you know i mean they're great at telling stories and and creating those transitions like the transition from a bug's land to cars land was genius you know they just put all these weird signs that you could read either way as you went either to cars land or to bug's land that kind of was like, Hey, you're on the road to this place. And, and it just kind of strangely made sense. And, you know, 
when you think about it, it shouldn't make sense, but it does. So yeah. they'll come up with but something I, cool. But do you think it made sense because, not necessarily because they were Pixar properties, but because having talking bugs and then talking cars just puts you in the same mindset of these are not human type characters? Maybe. That that might be something to consider. I, I don't think they can do the same transition from Marvel to Cars. Like, they won't have oh, signs definitely. on the road to Marvel Land. Like, pull over, see a superhero. Uh, you know, that's not going to be a thing. But I don't know. They'll come up with something. I know they will. And it's going to be – we're going to be like, oh, my gosh, that's so clever, you know? Like, yeah. just the stupid hatch that they put next to Guardians of the Galaxy – even Ugh. before it opened, that drove fans insane. Oh, yeah. Like just little stuff yep. like that. I, I, they're they're awesome. I am such a huge fan of the Imagineers. So you know, it would be pretty interesting now that I think about it. And it would be a nice homage to a Bugs Land if they had giant ants yeah. right in between where they had them between what that land is going to be and mm-hmm. Cars Land. Oh, I yeah. have always said that, uh, you know, it seems to be indicated that there will be some sort of Ant-Man experience, whether it's an right. attraction or something. If they don't put an Easter egg of Flick in there somewhere, I think that is wrong. Like, there needs to be, like, the freaking animal busts in Winnie the Pooh, you know, as the homage <laughs> to the attraction that it yeah. took over. I I feel like there has to be some sort of even if it's a fleeting thing that you most people won't even catch, Flick has to be there. I mean, I would settle for Heimlich or anything else. Like if you had a big old piece of watermelon, you know, that <laughs> you could smell or graham crackers as you're riding on the back of Antony or <laughs> Antonio Banderas. I don't know. I think you could do it. Yeah, I just feel like since you've got Ant-Man and you've got ants already, it's to me, it just makes sense to be Flick. But, yeah, I mean, I can see that. I, I think they need to have – and I'm I'm almost positive they will have a nod to a Bugs Land. They can't not. Yeah. You know? I don't know. We'll see. But this all gets our creative juices flowing for next week when we're going to do some armchair Imagineering for DCA. And I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. There's just so much that you can do at DCA. Oh, I know. <laughs> so much. Uh, well, thank you, man. That was a, a really great look at DCA 2.0. It was. It's always exciting when we get a chance to do these types of episodes. And uh, I hope you guys are enjoying them, too. You know, I, if you guys have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear your feedback. Just leave it on Instagram, send us a message on Twitter or on Facebook. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these episodes that we've been doing. And if there's any suggestions that you have, we'd love to hear that as well. Because, you know, we've said it before. We want to give you guys something you want to hear. So the more that we know about what you want to hear, the better, you know, we can cater to that. So, uh with that said, though, we just love these types of episodes because we love to dive into the history. And again, we hope that you guys are enjoying them as well. 
Um, before we end the episode, of course, I want to remind you that this episode of Podcasters is brought to you by the generosity of the FGP squad, otherwise known as our podcast fairy godparents. It is their contributions via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcasters possible. So to everyone on the FGP squad, we just want to send a huge shout out. What is up? What up? And if you want some more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, just head on over to podcasters.com slash FGP for more information information all right well man there was so much i wanted to talk about this episode <laughs> and time just flew yep so in the last episode we talked about the spark shorts that pixar was doing and i know that this week we had mentioned that we were going to talk about smashing grab so we're going to leave that for the next episode yeah. cool. so I've... there's your first tease for next episode well second, second. tease because we're going to do armchair <laughs> imagineering so there's your second tease for yeah. episode 245. And I think they've oh, got awesome. another one coming out this week. So they'll, they'll Oh, yeah, be, that's yeah. right. Should be two new shorts yeah, to Yeah, we'll talk be about. able to recap both. Yep. Cool. So we're going to continue creating the playlist. It'll be like a carousel of videos. I'll put it in this episode as well. If you guys want to take a look at that video before we talk about it, that way you guys can leave us your comments on you know what you guys felt when you watched it. Uh, I do have a couple things that I want to say about it because we did watch it in anticipation for this episode, but we'll leave it for the next one. And then if you guys want to submit your thoughts, we'll read them on that episode as well. And that's it. I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. What do you guys think? Sure. I think so. I'm, I'm ready to, uh, to uh, get warm. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. But before we sign off, I did want to give a little plug to my good buddy Josh over at Animation Station Podcast. And um, I actually got to join him for this latest episode, episode 144, in which we review How to Train Your Dragon 2 in anticipation of How to Train Your Dragon 3 next Ooh, week. Nice. So. Uh, if you want a little something else to listen to, tune into Animation Station Podcast. Um, I'm on there with Josh and Hannah. We have a fun time talking about animation and DreamWorks. So give it a listen. Very cool. We'll put the link to the podcast in the episode blog post. So podcasters.com slash 244 cool. if you guys want to check out Animation Station. You know, Josh is doing great things over there. I love what he's been doing with yeah. the podcast this last year. So quick shout out to Josh, man. Heck yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Again, we'd love to hear your comments on any of the social networks. Let us know your thoughts. Read them in an upcoming episode. So until next week, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Major look. <laughs>